It's officially late April now. But earlier this week, as I shuffled through the snow outside my front door, I was partially convinced it was still February. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. Come Tuesday morning, we woke up to a not super deep, but extremely messy and heavy dump of, you know, late season snow. We'll reveal some of the winners of this year's Times Union Best of Readers poll. The Best of Readers poll has been around for 25 years and shows no sign of slowing down. And we'll take a little look back in beer history to the year 1905. We think of of craft beer using unusual ingredients. The original recipe has significant amount of antiseptics as well. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, Take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. First up, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. All right, back again with Casey Seiler, Times Union Editor-in-Chief. Let's talk about what happened this week. We will start with the April snowstorm, which I can't believe I'm putting those two words together, but we had an April snowstorm and it was bad. Tell us about it. Yes, I was riding my bike uh, with shorts on on Saturday and come Tuesday morning, we woke up to a not super deep, but extremely messy and heavy dump of, you know, late season snow and slush. And it sounded very loud coming off my slate roof, I'm here to tell you. Um, and it did significant damage to the power grid across the region. You know, in the kind of greater capital region, some 200,000 utility customers were without power. Up in the North Country, it was very heavy stuff. This is really water-laden snow, six to 11 inches in parts of the region, especially the further north that you got. Um, We're talking uh, Wednesday afternoon, and there are still tens of thousands of people who are still without power. Wow. Is it, I mean, would you say that it's normal for this time of year? Would you categorize it as normal to get snow in April, at least down here in the capital region? Yeah, I, I would say so. Six to 11 inches in the North Country, that is unusual. Um, not unheard of, once again, but it did make for an extremely messy commute on Tuesday morning. Of course, by the afternoon, it was pretty much gone. You know, temperatures came up into the, into the 40s and it disappeared. The golf courses were, you know, once again, clear, but not yet open. Well, let's hope this was the absolute last of it for this season. All right, moving on. New York State now has the highest COVID risk. Tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, Lauren Stanforth reported over the weekend that there are 10 counties in New York that are at, you know, high risk as they're as it's designated for coronavirus. All of them in the Finger Lakes, Central New York, in the North Country, and in the Southern Tier. And we should point out that the map of the least robust 
vaccination levels also overlaps with a number of, of those areas as well. The state has identified two new sub-variants of Omicron that are kind of making their way across the region. That's why, thank goodness, hospitalization rates and death rates remain low. Infection rates are going up. This, of course, all comes as a federal judge, a conservative federal judge, uh, ruled that the CDC's uh, mask guidance for airports, for federal facilities, was unconstitutional, essentially knocked it down. The Biden administration uh, is likely to appeal that if the CDC says it needs it. But of course, that is toothpaste that's very hard to get back into the tube. And, you know, as we speak, New York State is saying that it will continue with mask mandates on public transportation. All right, we will be watching that. All right, moving on, last week, a murder in the Albany suburb of New Scotland. We've been reporting on that for the last week. There's been a suspect identified. What is the latest there? A really terrible and truly bizarre story. Um, Philip Rabati, age 35, a physician assistant at St. Peter's, married to another physician assistant at that same local hospital, was killed in his home last Wednesday. Police have identified and arrested Jacob Klein, uh, who's 40 years old, a physician assistant himself, who grew up around here but had been living down in Virginia recently. Brennan Lyons has been um, out in front uh, on this story, a really terrible case in which it appears that um, Klein allegedly was stalking a former girlfriend who was Rabati's wife and then confronted him at their home last Wednesday. And Mr. Rabati was left dead with multiple stab wounds. A really gruesome story. And of course, you know, poses the question of what in the world would make somebody years after breaking up with a woman all of a sudden show up stalk her allegedly for three days. And then, uh, according to what, what law enforcement is saying, commit this terrible crime against her husband. Well, stay tuned for more on that after the arraignment. Uh, moving up to Warren County now, where a tribute was held this week for a Korean War soldier whose remains were only identified more than 71 years after he was reported missing during the Korean War. Tell us more about that story. Yeah, this is Sergeant Howard Belden, who is from Hague, was from Hague, classified as missing in action during the the Battle of the Chosin Reservoir, uh, December 1st, 1950. Now, he is not the first soldier from this region to have, uh, just in the last couple of years, been identified as dying uh, in action during that very same battle. Um, The Battle of the Chosin Reservoir was um, brutal, not only because of the combat, but also because of the wintry conditions that it was uh, fought in. His remains were recovered in uh, back in July of 2018 and just identified last October. This has been part of ongoing kind of fitful cooperation between you know, North Korean and U.S. military forces. A a really remarkable story. And we've got very moving photos from the tribute. 
Wow, that's quite a story. Head on over to timesunion.com to read more about that. All right, Casey, that's it for this week. We will check back in with you next week. Thanks, Jess. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. Now it's that time of year again. The time we reveal the winners of the annual Times Union Best of Readers poll. Earlier this year, we asked you all to nominate your favorite restaurants, businesses, entertainers, outdoor experience, everything the Capital Region has to offer, you name it. Then we asked you to vote for those favorites. And this year's results are in. And we're super excited. Here to reveal the winners with me now is Times Union Features Editors Gary Hahn and Sarah Tracy. Let's talk about Best of 2022. What are we looking at this year? What are some of the highlights? Well, for one, uh, it's the Best of Readers poll has been around for 25 years and shows no sign of slowing down. In fact, the number of nominations this year uh, had beat uh, any previous year. So people have a strong interest in this reader's poll. And I have to point out, it is a reader's poll. I think there's, a, there's some people still think that somehow the Times Union has a hand on the level lever some, somehow, but... It's not rigged, I promise, right? Right. We are at the mercy of, uh, of the people who are, uh, who are doing the nominations and who are doing the voting. So that's what's great about it, is that um, we sit back and let the public speak. Now, you said a record number of nominations this year. How many are we talking? 177,122. Last year was just 138,000. So impressive. But it's almost like a 15% jump from what we had last year. Wow. Why do you think that that, that is so? Well, some of them were the categories. We added a couple. We always do barbershop or hair salon. But what we did was add individual barber and stylist and that brought out a ton of nominations. I mean, everyone has their own favorite hair cutter, right? And um, sure. we got just in that category alone, um, almost 550 different nominations for people. I didn't know there were that many different heads out there, but we had a, we had a ton of nominations in that category alone. And we also added a couple other in the same kind of ilk, um, real estate, a realtor and a lawyer. So that really kind of... Um, I think amped up interest as far as different types of nominations and um, different uh, ways people wanted to uh, broadcast their favorites. That's so exciting. Now, let's talk about some of the surprises. What were the most surprising things this year? I think there were a few surprises this year. Um, The one that I think I glommed onto a bit more, maybe because because I love food so much and shopping so much, is local grocery store, which does not sound very exciting at all. But when you think about how Price Chopper and Market 32 has really dominated that category a lot in the past few years, and we have an upset in this category this year. Hannaford, um, Hannaford won the top spot this year. I mean, I've got a Hannaford and a Price Chopper within a mile's walk of my place. <laughs> so I, I wonder if uh, if they'll have some, some Duke out fights. <laughs> Wow. Is this the first time that Hannaford's ever won over Price Chopper? No, no. uh, But it's been a while. It has been a while since Hannaford has won the top spot. Price Chopper has kind of dominated the market, so to say, uh, in that category for several years. I'd say near on a decade. That was a pretty big upset this year. And when I went back, 
it was a pretty close category. So I'm curious how uh, how it'll turn out for next year's poll as well. Another oh, yeah. category that has been kind of going back and forth uh, between two heavyweights have been hospitals. Albany Med and St. Peter's, both uh, really strong presence presences in the um, uh, capital region, have been kind of trading back and forth, not, not every other year, but um, some would dominate for a few years and then someone else. Well, this year, after Albany Med had won last year, St. Peter came out on top this year. And so it's just, uh, it shows... Uh, how much we value our healthcare and how how many people are interested in uh, in voting for what they feel is the best hospital. And it's always interesting too when you think of the services that people use more often or they need to put faith in those services, how passionate they are because those categories get thousands and thousands of votes every year and it's wow. really nice to see the community come out and and really, you know, buck up their favorite brands. Absolutely. We are we are very fortunate in this region to have so much at our fingertips. And that I think really brings that this I think really brings that to light. Reveal some more of the winners. We like to tweak this contest every year, um, this poll, because we want to keep it fresh. So there's always going to be some that we kind of semi retire and give a rest to um, and then bring in something else that we uh that we may have used several years ago or, or never used at all. And one of them is the best donut mm-hmm. um, in Capital Region, which surprisingly we've, we haven't used. So, you know, and we kept it to a single location because obviously there's Dunkin' Donuts on almost every corner. So we wanted yeah. to kind of keep this fair and level um, playing field. So you can mention a Dunkin' Donuts, but you have to say like the one on Madison, corner of Madison and Larks, let's say. Giving that kind of parameters, uh, the winner this year, um, not surprisingly, was uh, Cider Belly. Right. Oh, Cider Belly, yes. And they just got in to that single location. They In February, they opened a second location, but the parameters that we look at for best of is the past year. So when we're looking at 2021, that's kind of the, the timeline we're looking at. So they just squeaked in there for that single location win. And actually, when you look at all the finalists for that category, I was surprised that there weren't more new spots that had recently opened up because I feel like in the last couple of years, there's been a new donut specializing place that's opened all around the capital region. But we had Cider Belly, we had Indian Ladder, we had Lakeside Farms, all of them were finalists, these really well-established businesses. But then what's nice is that we got 518 Donuts, which uh, more recently opened that, that kicked into our finalist category there. Well, oh, I'm hungry for donuts now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't have done this so early. <laughs> well, I will be going. I know where I'll be going on my lunch break. What about some of the others? What I really liked um, to bring in was in Best of the Rest, uh, which is one of our kind of umbrella categories. We, we brought in a few other ones. And this is kind of more community-based categories that we're thinking about. And when we were trying to see how can we shake up Best of the Rest, a suggestion was put out there for the best local hike in the four core counties, because you think about what do we do in the capital region? I mean, we love to go out to eat. We love to see live shows. And a lot of us love to be outdoors. I thought that that was a great category to add this year. We had a lot of nominations and the, uh, the one that won was actually a favorite in a lot of our categories this year. It was the trails at Thatcher Park. Which, uh, yes. if, if listeners, if you haven't been there to Thatcher Park and seen those views of the bluffs and the cliffs and everything, 
just go. <laughs> take take a nice afternoon. We're getting into warmer weather now. You've got to check out the view at Thatcher Park. All right, let's touch on one more. Let's do an, a, an arts and entertainment category. What did what happened there? Yeah, yeah. So with arts and entertainment, um, we're always trying to think of ways to bring out the best in our arts and entertainment. And there's a lot. But something that we had retired in past years were our categories uh, dedicated to the live event venues. Because with the pandemic, a lot of the venues weren't booking shows the same way that they were doing. In the last years, we actually had best virtual programming as one of the arts and entertainment categories. But with things opening up and, you know, fingers crossed, things getting a little bit safer, we brought back the best entertainment venue category. And that's across all audience capacities and, and everything else. And I don't know about Gary, I was not too surprised at seeing our our number one finalist here with SPAC. I mean, you think about concerts in the capital region, you can't do much better with the amphitheater outdoors and in Saratoga, especially in the summer. I would agree with that. It warms my heart. It makes me so excited to hear that, you know, that category is, you know, back on after two years of, of uncertainty and longing and all of that. So it's really great to have that category back. All right, guys, where can we find all of this great best of stuff? Where do we have to go to find it? It's in on Thursday's edition newspaper. We have um, the best of magazine, which if you're lucky enough to still find or know someone that has a Thursday uh, newspaper, you can always grab that. They're also this year are being sold separately. So you can reach out to us here at Times Union and uh, get your own copy in case you missed it on Thursday. Of course, it's also uh, available online. If you just go to uh, our site, timesunion.com, you'll get all the um, all the winners and the top five. Those those four who came in right after the the number ones and um, a little blurb on uh, on what we thought about the whole thing. So. Thank you guys both for joining me. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to go get some donuts right now. That's oh. a good that's a good decision. <laughs> Be sure to check out our social channels as well for more exciting tidbits from 2022's Best Of. After the break, there's a huge connection between Capital Region history and the history of beer and brewing. We'll go back in time to the year 1905 and explore that connection. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. For thousands of years, humans have been brewing and drinking beer in some form. And for just as long, they've been having animated conversations over a pint or a similar liquid volume. Many of them, you could argue, made history. Brewing historian and Albany Ale Project co-founder Craig Gravina and Discover Albany Community Engagement Manager Maeve McEnany-Johnson like to talk history over beers. In fact, they can often be found leading beer and history tours around town. This week, the pair held a lecture at Frog Alley Brewing in Schenectady for the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic Creative Placemaking Summit, 
at which they also helped debut a limited edition special beer. What makes it special, you ask? It's brewed in the style of what you might find at a pub in 1905. I sat down with Craig and Maeve to learn more about that beer, what was going on in the capital region more than a century ago, and how the two intertwine. You know, what's going on historically at that time? The temperance movement is starting to like really, really ramp up in those in that 20 year period before prohibition. You've got um, some really, really aggressive temperance and and prohibitionists uh, activists really, you know, lobbying government to, to really get alcohol outlawed. And, you know, obviously it, it it works to some extent. There's a big connection to sort of the absolutist movements coming out of the American Civil War, nativism, um, that continue on until the beginning of the 20th century. So other than that, um, the, the you know, stock market was doing pretty well at the beginning of the 19th century. Um, money was being, money was, was flowing pretty well. The height of, of manufacturing is really starting to, to, to explode in the United States. What about here, though? Like what, I mean, I know Albany had a hand in a lot of things in history at that time, but like what was going on here? So yeah, like what is going on in 1900? I'm like, well, the capital has been completed, you know, declared finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got this kind of big structure that's been there for a couple of years. You know, World War One is still years off. So I'm sort of thinking like... One of the yeah. big things, too, is that it's, you know, in that, in that period before 1920... And sort of after the mid 1890s, right? You have a switch, a political switch, right? You had, you had the the sort of Nolan machine in the 1880s and 1890s as the mayor of of Albany, and he's the first Irish-born mayor of the city. He's a Democrat. In that early 20th century period, you've got um, the rise of of the Republican Party before they lose in 19, 1919, 1920 to what would become the O'Connell machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got a little switch in, in, in politics at that time period, yeah, too. Yeah, there's a lot of seeds being planted as I'm kind of looking at the timeline. I'm like, yeah, a lot of seeds being planted before I think all of a sudden everything was hit on fast forward in yeah. like 1917 on. You're having those progressive politicians sort of starting to make their bones in that, you know, 1900 to 1920 period, so... Yeah, that's interesting. I like how you put it, how, how like seeds are planted yeah. for like these big things that are about to happen in the yeah, in the not so distant future. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, can't relate to that at all. Right. Where do you go to get a beer, and what do you do? Like, what's the culture around drinking beer at that time? Well, there are bars and taverns and places everywhere. You know, some of them are like neighborhood localities that serve their own neighborhoods. The breweries, you know, the breweries are all over Albany at that point, right? There's ones in the north end, there's ones in the south end, there's ones in Center Square. Much like today, right? right? Yeah, they're significantly bigger than what we have today in the the middle of the city. But, you know, and it wasn't uncommon for people, um, in fact, there's a great story that's around the early uh, 20th century um, of this guy called the Growler Man that worked up like around North Ferry Street. And he was just this old man that would put a broomstick over his shoulders and go to Beverwick or go to Quinn and Nolan and just get two big buckets, fill them up with ale, 
or beer or whatever he was selling, he would just walk around to the to the factories and the guys would just, you know, for a, a penny or, or a nickel, they'd just take a like a tin cup and just stick it in there and that was and he would do that all day long and just walk back and forth and back and forth. Wow. Between the breweries and the factories. And something that, you know, and again as we start talking about the seeds is I would say Dan O'Connell, who then would later become that head of the Democratic machine in Albany, was learning a kind of his tricks of the trade in a pub, is what well, I would You gather. know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Irish, German, any sort of immigrant population that comes into any urban center, they start to see some commonalities amongst themselves. And especially if you have people that have political aspirations, you know, mm-hmm. if they are groups that feel like they are being oppressed, let's come together and start voting out the people that we don't like, you know, the, the sort of rich folks who are calling the shots. Let's put our own candidates up, you know, and it's sort of neighborhood based machine politics. I mean, that's where it, that's where it really starts to come from. I mean, you see that obviously early on in New York City. Obviously, that happens in, in Albany and it happens in Schenectady. And... But I do want to ask you about the specific beer, the okay. Frog Alley beer. Like, what, what makes it distinct and special from, say, something that you would drink, you know, today? today? All right, yeah. I could do that. IPA today is, without a doubt, the most popular craft beer style, right? IPA has been made in the United States for... 150 years, right? The earliest example of an IPA that was made in the United States that I've ever come across was a brewery in Watervliet, the Dunlop Brewery. It was A.A. Dunlop. You know, this area specifically has an, an IPA history. Those brewers were emulating that beer that was made that became very, very popular in, in England. So in the United States, we have this history of, of IPA that sort of uh, becomes popular. It's around, but ale in general, like I said, sort of diminishes because of lager. But there are still breweries prior to Prohibition that are making it. And there's actually breweries that are that are making it after Prohibition, Ballantine being one of the last ones in the 19, I think it, I think they stopped making it in the 1960s or early 1970s. So the beer that we're making with Frog Alley is this beer from 1905, and it's typical of what you would have seen in a lot of breweries. It has a good portion of locally grown malt. It's got a good portion of locally grown corn, and then glucose, just big old bucket of glucose. Um, The hops would have most likely come from New York. Some of them probably would have come from the Pacific Northwest at that point. Everything was starting to move west, which is where the majority of the hops are grown in the United States now. It would have been more akin to like a, for beer nerds out there, a, a more of like a West Coast IPA. The hops were really made and used for bittering rather than for flavor than what you think of today of like a sloop juice bomb or one of those uh, style sort of fruzy, fruzy? Fruity, is that a is that a fruity, yeah, it's fruity, fruity and juicy combined into one thing? Fruzy. It also has, you know, we, we think of, of craft beer using unusual ingredients. This beer that we had, this hundred and some odd year old beer, has bitter orange peel in it. That was typical of the time. They clearly were trying to get a, a citrus flavor out of the beer. The original recipe has significant amount of antiseptics as well. And then it was served within a few weeks of 
served or sold within a few weeks. A stock ale would have been kept for a long time, six months to a year. It would have developed flavors in a barrel over time. Because we did this on such short notice, we couldn't keep the beer. We couldn't age it. Um, however, uh, the brewer who made this beer is actually a woman. Her name's Laura Clough. She's awesome. She did the calculations for how hoppy and bitter the beer was. And because these beers were aged and because the hops probably wouldn't have been quite as potent as they were they are today, they were like the IBUs, which is the International Bittering Unit, was off the chart, even even with the malt and, and the balance that they try to get out of it. So they kind of like adjusted that a little bit. But that aging process for a year would have sort of tamped down the flavor of the and the bitterness of the, the hops. That's the only real difference. And it was just a matter of like, we didn't even know about the conference in time to age this beer for six months. So. Sure. And plus, we have the benefit of, you know, 100 years more of beer science right. and all of that. And this is what I've learned, right? When I first started doing these, I like I wanted to recreate these beers exactly as, and that's not a reality, right? You're making a historic beer, and the ingredients in the beer isn't what necessarily makes it historic. It's the process by which the beers are made, right? We don't have wooden vessels, you know. We don't age the beers. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. So the beer that we're making isn't really historic, but it is the perfect gateway to introduce people to history. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler, Gary Hahn, and Sarah Tracy for their contribution to this episode.